So I want to turn our hearts to the scriptures as uh, we look at what God has for us. And I really wanted to make sure we hit this sermon today because next week we have uh, special guests that are going to be with us, Scott and Carrie Dressler, who uh, serve with the Christian Missionary Alliance overseas. Uh, they will give you uh, a lot more specificity as to their role and what they do when they're here with us next week. Uh, but they're going to wrap up this short series that we began the year with. Uh, as we've kind of recast vision and we began to talk about kind of a summary statement for our, our new vision. Uh, and that summary statement is this, all of Jesus for the whole person for the whole world. All of Jesus for the whole person for the whole world. And those three parts make up the first three weeks of our time together as we move into 2022. And so last week, Lucinda looked at that idea of all of Jesus. What does it look like for us to be captured by the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Uh, today, I'd like to take some time to dig into that phrase, for the whole person. What do we mean by that? What, what's it mean that Jesus didn't just come to save us eternally, but to save all of us and to redeem and to restore all of us? What, what's that mean for us? And then next week, uh, when Scott and Carrie are here, they're going to talk about what it means that Jesus came for the whole world. All of Jesus for the whole person for the whole world. And so we're excited about that as we jump into the year. I think this is going to be a great framework for us as we jump into the year. Um, I, I've said before, I think uh, Tim Keller, who is a pastor in uh, New York City, was a pastor in New York City, uh, continues to uh, serve the Lord there as he coordinates a variety of church uh, churches in the city, as well as a church planning movement that's in cities all around the world. Uh, pastor Tim uh, talks about the difference between religion and following Jesus. And I, I think he has um, one of the best ways to distinguish between religion and the gospel. The way he says it is like this. Uh, religion says, live like this and God will accept you. If you do the right things, you act the right way, you know the right stuff, you look the right way, then God will accept you. That's the basic idea of religion, that if you do it right, God will love you. If you act the right way, if you perform the right way, God will love you. God will approve of you. But on the other hand, the gospel says it differently. It says, at great cost to himself, uh, Tim Keller says, God has already accepted you. So now go and live a certain way. Look a certain way. Act a certain way. Do you see the difference? Religion says, act a certain way and God will accept you. But the gospel says, at great cost to himself, God has already accepted you. Now act a certain way, look a certain way, live a certain way. It looks the same on the outside, but what's inside, those internal motivations, they're dramatically different. And I think that's the heart of this idea of what it means that all of Jesus is for the whole person. There's a dramatic difference, but it's under the surface. It's at the, the motivation level. The entire ministry of Jesus was built around that kind of transformation. Jesus wasn't interested in us just having a mental assent to what was true. He wanted us to be transformed from the inside out. And one of Jesus' greatest teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, he said repeatedly that external behavior was not enough. So uh, he would say things like, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, do, do not hate in your heart. You've heard it say, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even lust after a person. The, the, the heart motivation is what Jesus was after. So hopefully through the magic of graphics and video, you're going to be able to see a picture on the screen uh, that describes what we're talking about here. 
the idea is this, that um, there are words that we say and works that we do, and both of those things are above the surface. So you see us talking about the gospel, saying certain things about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what we believe about Jesus, and you see these works, the behavior of our lives. And both of those things, working together, represent what we believe, uh, how we look. And our goal, often in faith, is to make both of those things work together, that our words, what we say we believe, and our works, how we act, or um, in classical terms, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, that they would match, that we would live what we believe, and we would believe the way that we live. The challenge is, those words and those works may match, but underneath the surface, there's a third element that we can simply call our wants, our desires, our, our passions. We, we try to operate at the words and works level, but real apprenticeship to Jesus, the heart of the way that Jesus taught the gospel, is actually impacting us at the wants level. There's a, a, a transformation that's happening uh, below the surface, down at our desires, that we would not only do the right thing and believe the right thing, but we would want to do the right thing. We would want to believe the right thing. Um, you could even go a step further and say we would want to want to do the right thing. There's a, there's a heart desire that must be transformed. And that's the heart of what it means that Jesus transforms the whole person. That there's, a, there's an opportunity that we have to engage the entirety of Jesus and that he would engage the entirety of us, that we don't have to simply uh, kind of white-knuckle holiness, that we don't have to uh, work really hard to make sure we behave, but that God actually changes us at the motivation level. Jamie Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, which is uh, an excellent book, I highly recommend it, um, Jamie Smith says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. What Smith is saying is that Jesus isn't content at that above the surface level with changing what we believe, how we speak, and uh, how we act, what we, what we do, our words and our works. Rather, Jesus is after our wants. He wants to change us at the desire level, the love level. And that's what we mean when we say that all of Jesus is for the whole person. It means that Jesus is healing us and he is transforming us and he's changing us at the heart motivation level. And that is what we should be longing for and what we should, we should be coming to Jesus expecting. Not that he would just uh, ask us to change our beliefs or our behaviors, but that he would actually change our motivations. That um, in uh, the prophet Ezekiel's words, that he would give us a new heart, uh, that we, we would have uh, new desires, new, a heart of flesh uh, that, would, that would give us new longings and new desires for him. And so I want to look today at the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, some very well-loved verses uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to read those for you, uh, and if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along and look at what Paul says. Uh, let me just frame these verses as they come after 11 chapters of uh, just a, a beautiful treatise of the grace of Jesus, of uh, the beauty of who Jesus is in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, all of the need that we have, lots of things that actually speak directly to baptism, which we'll maybe talk a little bit about in the coming weeks. Um, in the midst of all of that, the first 11 chapters kind of lay out a treatise, 
And then verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12 uh, become a hinge point for the rest of uh, the book of Romans. Listen to what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are tuning in virtually all around the county and maybe even all around the world. And uh, God, I thank you for the privilege that it is for us to be able to look into your word. Would you now help me to be able to speak what is true? And would you speak that truth into our hearts that we would not just hear mentally and uh, affirm the truth, but that we would really be changed by it. And so God, I pray that your words would be spoken and heard, that my words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but that your words that are intended for our transformation they would do their work, that they would change us from the inside out. And so God, do this work in us, we pray. May uh, your words take deep root in our hearts and grow up and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a lot in here. We're not going to have time to hit all of it. I know it's only two verses, but man, they're jam-packed full two verses. So I just want to look at three things. I, I want to look at the power for transformation, the process of transformation, and the product that comes from transformation. So the power for transformation, the process of transformation, and the product that comes from transformation. Remember, this is within the context of this broad series, all of Jesus for the whole person, for the whole world. And so um, Paul starts out by saying, I, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In some translations, it would say, in view of God's mercy. As you look at, as you survey the mercy of God, um, there should be a response to that. And that ties for us into that concept of all of Jesus. All of Jesus, the, the beauty of that passage that Lucinda unpacked for us from Colossians chapter 1, uh, the beauty of the glory of God captured in the, the incarnation of Jesus, that, um, that, that Jesus is the reflection of the Godhead, that he is the image of the invisible God, Paul says. The beauty of Jesus should capture our hearts and that should be the thing that empowers our transformation. It shouldn't be willpower. Uh, we know at the beginning of the year, uh, you're now at the second weekend of January, which means about half of us has already lost our New Year's resolutions. The other half is coming here in a week or two. Um, the, the willpower that we have to change, it's, it's not ever going to be enough. But what Paul's saying is, it's, it's the beauty of the grace of Jesus. It's all of Jesus that captures us that becomes the process of transformation. If we go straight to for the whole person, for the whole world, that's a self-help model. And it moves us into a, a design of our life that says, I can get better, I can through, uh, maybe through meditation, through religion, through certain ways of thinking, ways of acting, discipline, structure, I can change my life. The whole person can be different and I can impact the world around me. But that's a self-help model, it's not a gospel model. On the other hand, if we go straight from all of Jesus 
for the whole world, what we have is an eschatological model. A, uh, we're looking forward to the end times. We're looking forward to being in heaven with Jesus. But there's very little hope for the earth other than saving other people's souls, seeing more people come to heaven. And it's not that those things are bad. It's that, that that's not sufficient. When we read the New Testament scriptures, what we find is that Jesus is interested in our heart transformation, us being different people, changed people. And so we don't want to go all of Jesus for the whole world bypassing the person. And we don't want to go the whole person for the whole world bypassing Jesus. Instead, we need all three of those parts, all of Jesus for the whole person, for the whole world. And that was the heart of what Lucinda was talking about. She talked about the beauty of Jesus and the way that light and darkness interplay, the way that the light of Jesus captures our heart. What she's seeking to paint a picture for us, uh, quite literally as an artist, uh, is the beauty of Jesus that captures our attention, that grabs a hold of our imaginations, that gives us the motivation to change, that when we look into the beauty of the gospel, uh, we're captured, we're changed by that. That's all of Jesus. But when Paul says that, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The question that's being asked uh, underneath the surface, and a real question that we need to wrestle with, and uh, kind of the heart of what I want to look at today, is this question. Is real change, particularly change into the image of Jesus, is that kind of change really possible? Can you and I look like Jesus? Can we be changed so that we become more and more like Jesus? And what's fascinating is that uh, much of a, many of us in the 21st century would say, oh my goodness, not until heaven. Like, we'll never be like him. But when you read the New Testament, when you read Jesus' teachings, you find that Jesus and the, God, the, the, um, the early apostles, the early church, they, they may not have believed that they would be exactly like Jesus, but they truly believed that they were being changed into the image of Christ. You hear uh, somebody like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talk about being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. That there's a transformation that happens as we, uh, as we gaze into the beauty of Jesus and as uh, in Paul's words here in Romans chapter 12, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. There is a possibility of change, change into the likeness of Jesus. The entire New Testament scriptures testify to that. But here's the other piece that we need to recognize. That change won't happen automatically. We expect that um, if we even have any expectation of change at all, that Jesus is just going to do it. That we can just um, present ourselves to him and he's just going to do the work. But again, the New Testament scriptures don't seem to speak that way. Um, it, it, it's, it's not automatic that we would make that change, but it's also in a way that we can't fully understand, not up to us. Let, let's look at Paul's words. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that would have been very strange for the, uh, the people who would have been originally hearing Paul's language because they would have been familiar with a temple. This is temple language. And a sacrifice 
was very clear to them. Uh, there were animals that were brought in. They were sacrificed. Uh, they understood even uh, through history and through the people groups around them, there were times that humans were sacrificed. But see, here's the thing. When a sacrifice was made, that animal, that person, they didn't get back off the altar. There is no such thing as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices, by their very nature, are dead. That's what happens. They're killed uh, at, because they're sacrificed. And yet Paul says that you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What he's saying is uh, there's, there's work that we do offering our bodies, but the sacrifice uh, of the, the, is giving the totality of ourselves, sacrifices were complete and yet still alive, living sacrifices. And he uses, he goes on with more temple language, holy and acceptable to God. This is a reference to the temple system. What he's saying is there, there's a right kind of sacrifice, a sacrifice that is pure and, uh, and acceptable before God. What he would have been referencing to those early Christians was the, the only example they knew of a living sacrifice. What would it look like for a, a, a sacrifice to be made and yet that sacrifice to still be alive? Well, the only example of that was Jesus himself. The story of Jesus was that he made a sacrifice of his life on the cross and yet was alive. He resurrected. God raised Jesus from the dead. And so you have this picture of Jesus as a living sacrifice. And what he's saying to us is in the same way, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this wasn't a new, uh, a new idea for Paul. If you go back in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 6, you find Paul actually describing baptism. And he says in Romans chapter 6 that when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death, that we are literally dead to our sin and alive to Christ. So we're offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, dead to sin and alive to Christ. In the very same way, he revisits that in Romans chapter 12 and says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. So there's, there's effort on our part. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter laying out this process of holiness says over and over again that we should make every effort. You can go look it up uh, on your own. It's a beautiful list of uh, characteristics that, that, that Peter lays out. But he says, make every effort to uh, engage this spiritual life. Paul, in the book of Philippians, makes this fascinating statement in Philippians chapter 2 where he says that you and I should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should do that work because it's God who works in us uh, and who is making that transformation in us. That's uh, in Philippians 2, I believe it's 13 and 14. There's this tension that we have between our efforts, something that we're intended to do, and the work of God that he is doing within us. Here's what I want you to hear. The power of transformation comes from Jesus. He's the one who's doing the work, but we have to place ourselves in position to receive that transformation. Dallas Willard in his book, The Great Omission, uh, says it this way, the disciple is one who intent upon becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. In contrast, the non-disciple, whether inside or outside the church, has something more important to do or undertake than to become like Jesus Christ. What's Willard saying? 
He's, he's saying that the heart of discipleship, of apprenticeship to Jesus, is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to be people who systematically and progressively rearrange our lives to the end of dwelling with Christ in faith and practice, uh, that we intentionally work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The non-disciple has something better to do. We're drawn away, the non-disciples drawn away by the things of the world, by uh, other things that we're pursuing, uh, other loves that capture our hearts. But the disciple of Jesus, a true apprentice of Jesus is saying, I'm rearranging my life. I am, I'm intending holiness. I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So the power for transformation coming from Jesus, I can't do it on my own but I do have to offer myself to it. You're going to see more of that as we go on. So the power for transformation comes from him. The process of transformation then uh, looks different. So um, Paul says it this way, um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so what Paul's saying here is that there's an unintentional thing that's happening to us that we, we can term confirmation. Don't be conformed to this world. So being conformed to the world is something that's happening naturally within us. But transformation, on the other hand, is something that we are, that's happening to us. So um, we're being conformed or we're being transformed. And it's really a matter of where we're receiving that. The, uh, the language that Paul's using is this, um, th this uh, passive work of transformation or confirmation that's happening. So we're either being conformed by the world or we're being transformed by the work of Jesus. But what we're doing, the picture is almost kind of like a, like a catcher receiving a pitch. Like the catcher has to be there when the pitch is coming in, but he's not doing anything. He's just simply receiving that pitch. And now if the catcher's not there, the ball's gonna go right by. But if the catcher is there, he's gonna be able to receive that pitch. That's what's happening. We're either receiving the confirmation of the world or we're receiving the transformation of the spirit. But both of those things are happening to us through the intentionality of where we're being placed. Effectively, the question is, are we sitting behind home plate waiting for the pitch? Or are we up in the stands being changed by the world around us? Do not be conformed by the patterns of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, the, the call is that we would be uh, transformed spiritually, but that requires intentionality. That requires us stepping in with intentionality. So uh, these models that are going to show up on the screen, they're probably familiar to you. We've talked about them a bunch, but they're really important for us to revisit on a regular basis. Um, there, there's something called unintentional spiritual formation. Uh, the heart of unintentional spiritual formation is effectively this. You are being formed spiritually. You're being formed spiritually whether you like it or not, whether you want it to be or not. Uh, you're worshiping something. You're being formed by something. Unintentionally, there are certain factors that form us. And so uh, those factors are relatively straightforward. There are stories that we believe. There are things that we believe about ourselves, uh, stories that we're told from early on. Things like might makes right and uh, he who dies with the most toys 
wins or money is power or family is the most important thing or whatever those stories are. Some of them good, some of them not as good, but those are stories that form us and uh, they're stories that we hear. They, uh, they transform the way that we think. And so um, whether that story is uh, the, the world is a divine accident and, and it's um, everything's just kind of accidental. We have no idea how it got here, but everything just exploded at one point billions and billions of years ago or God created everything that is. Those are two very different stories and they form us in two very different ways. So stories, the stories that we believe form us. The people that were around form us. Uh, you probably had your parents tell you at one point in time that uh, the company you hang with is gonna be really important because you're gonna become like them, that you're gonna be influenced by your friends. That's true. Um, we become similar to the people around us. Uh, we are changed by the people that we interact with uh, in good ways and sometimes in not as good of ways. The people who we respect, the people who uh, we allow to have influence into our lives, those are really important decisions that we make. And then finally, the habits that we undertake, those habits all also form us. And so everything from our morning routine to our evening routine, the rhythm that we live our lives with day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, uh, certain ways that we interact with family, with friends, with our hobbies, with uh, just different passive things, how much we watch TV, the, the eating patterns that we have. Um, things in our modern world, like how we engage technology. Uh, if you are getting up in the morning and the first thing you're doing is looking at your phone, you're looking at email, you're looking at uh, Instagram or Facebook or whatever your thing is, uh, and the last thing you're doing at night is scrolling through things and checking things out, again, looking at email or whatever the stuff is, that, that's forming you. And, and it's a formational thing, whether you want it to be or not. It's, it's formation that's happening. And so uh, formation that's happening through the stories that we believe, through the people that we, uh, we live with or live among, and the habits that we have, and all of that happens within a certain environment. And so for us, that environment is York County, Pennsylvania. There are certain things that are just true of us or that are influencing us because of uh, where we live. There's certain ways of thinking, certain ways of acting. Uh, family has a certain level of importance. There's a certain way that we look at the environment. There's a certain way that we look at the government. There's a certain way that we see the world around us. And that's not everybody, but we're certainly influenced by that environment that's around us. And um, the, the way that that formation happens is, uh, is over a period of time, uh, we begin to change. And so that, that spiritual formation, unintentional, just begins to happen to us. But what Jesus invites us into, when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just saying, read the Bible. He's not just saying, believe a certain set of things. What he's saying is, uh, be formed around my way of being. Uh, the way I like to say it is we never are going to gain the life of Jesus unless we take on the lifestyle of Jesus. And so what does that look like? Well, um, in that same kind of image, there's intentional spiritual formation. Intentional spiritual formation uh, flips all of those factors. So instead of the stories that we believe, we talk about the teaching that we receive, whether that's through a sermon like this, whether that's through um, the Bible that we read, podcasts that we listen to, devotionals that we read, uh, the way that we're taught, that teaching all kind of formed together becomes part of the way that we're formed. But that's not the extent to which we're formed. That's been uh, one of the errors that the church has made is that if we just fill our mind, we'll be changed. See, the problem is um, there's lots of things that uh, when I fill my mind, I change at a, a picture that uh, picture from the beginning at the, the, the word and the works level, but my wants 
don't change. So the image that I always use is that um, I know for a fact that eating ice cream at 10 o'clock at night out of the container is a really bad idea. I can do all kinds of research, I can put that into my head, but see, at 10 o'clock at night, there's a want that's in me that's stronger than the knowledge that says, I shouldn't really eat that ice cream. If I'm gonna eat it, I should put one small scoop in a bowl. Um, but instead, I get the entire, uh, the entire container out and eat the ice cream. Why? I know it's bad for me. I know that's not good. And yet, there's this desire in me See, see the, the formational issue needs to change, not just at the teaching level. We can't just get more teaching. Teaching doesn't change our wants. But community and practice begin to make an impact in that totality of spiritual formation for the whole person. So community, uh, being engaged, committed to people who are journeying towards Jesus with me, and I'm journeying towards Jesus with them, and they're part of that formation for me. And so that's not just people I really like, it's people I'm committed to, people that I'm uh, regularly allowing to invest in my life and I'm investing in their lives. We're committed to one another. That community is formational. Uh, for us, that's community groups, discipleship partners, uh, people who are committing to one another to journey together over a period of time. And then practices, uh, the, the habits of Jesus, the, the ways that Jesus operates. Those practices, which we regularly teach at York Alliance as part of our practice series, those practices form us and shape us. If looking at your phone first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening form you, so will things like prayer, silence and solitude, regularly reading the scriptures, fasting, Sabbath, celebration, all of these disciplines, the practices of Jesus, they're part of the formational process. And like the environment that forms us, the Holy Spirit himself forms us as we offer ourselves, as we put ourselves kind of in the catcher's box and we begin to receive transformation through teaching, through community, through practices. And over a period of time, through suffering often and difficulties, we are transformed. Uh, we are uh, receiving that transforming work of Jesus through teaching and community and practice. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is uh, that idea of all of Jesus for the whole person. He's not just changing us at our works and our words level, but he's changing us at our wants level. He's changing our desires. So we get to a place where we want to want to be like him. We desire to be like him. Again, Dallas Willard in The Great Omission says it this way, the genius of the moral teachings of Jesus and his first students was his insistence that you cannot keep the law by trying not to break the law. That will only make a Pharisee of you and sink you into layers of hypocrisy. Instead, you have to be transformed in the functions of the soul so that the deeds of the law are a natural outflow of who you have become. This is spiritual formation in the Christian way. What Willard's saying is this, that you can't just work at the words and works level to try to fix your outward. That's the confirmation. And even if you're being conformed to the way of Jesus, it will ultimately break down because Jesus isn't interested in just changing our outside. Instead, he's uh, desiring to change our inside, that, um, that the deeds of the law are a natural outflow of who you become, that your heart changes. So in the language of the Old Testament, you're given the, a new heart, a heart of flesh, that the law is written on our hearts, that our desires change, that we want to be different. 
And so the process of transformation is us changing, not just at the surface level, but what's under the surface, that our hearts begin to change. And that happens through this extended process of transformation where we intentionally offer ourselves, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that we would not be conformed outwardly, but be transformed inwardly. And so uh, what's the result? What's the product of that transformation? Well, uh, let me read for you uh, at the end of Romans chapter 2, uh, or R- Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, uh, do not be conformed by, to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The question is, um, can I trust those desires that are in me? When I seek to, uh, to do the will of God, how do I know it's the will of God? How do, how do I know that God's working within me? And that transformation, that, that, that work of the Holy Spirit that's in us, that begins to be the, the product of transformation. We begin to hear from God and want the things that he wants, desire the things that he desires. We, we begin to be able to discern between the voice of the flesh that's within me, saying, I want this thing that is not of God, and the voice of the Spirit that God has placed in me that's transforming me, that makes me long for these certain things, to engage uh, the ways of God. I, I think C.S. Lewis says it really well in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, Our faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life in, and thought, his zoe, which is uh, the word for life, into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like that is still tin. See, what, what Lewis is saying in this, this uh, picturesque way is that God is changing us. And as he changes us, there, there's the, these new desires that we find within us. The product of transformation is that we desire the will of God. We know the, the perfect and pleasing will of God. And there's a part of us that doesn't like that. But Lewis is saying that part is the, the still tin. That's the old man. That's the flesh that was in you. But now as God changes us, as we are transformed, we have this longing for the will of God. That longing, that transformation, that's what it means that all of Jesus is for the whole person. It's not just for our our surface actions. It's not just so that we know more. Jesus desires to transform us from the inside out. And so that decision to receive that kind of transformation, that's the the holistic following of Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, that's what he means. That we would be people who place ourselves as the catcher uh, right behind home plate to receive that transformation, that work that Jesus is doing, but we intentionally place ourselves so that we can receive it. When we say all of Jesus for the whole person, we most certainly mean that Jesus heals our body. We most certainly mean that in the midst of disease, in the midst of health, physical struggle, Jesus comes and heals. That's part of his transforming power. But we also mean that Jesus heals those deep emotional wounds within us. Uh, those struggles that we've always had, the anxieties that we wrestle with, the, um, the, the nagging words that come to mind that, that we struggle with. God heals. He's able to heal those things. And those spiritual wounds 
uh, that, those spiritual diseases that say we're never good enough, that we uh, keep longing and we keep failing and we feel that sense of failure. Jesus heals all of those pieces of us, the totality of us. And, and the process of that is simply asking, is simply coming to him and saying, Jesus, I want more of you. I, I want to be fully transformed by you. I want to be fully changed by you. So this isn't just a spiritual life. This is a physical life. This is an emotional life. This is a relational life. Jesus is healing the whole of who we are. All of Jesus for the whole person, for the whole world. And so next week, we're going to look at what it means that Jesus is making that change in us and that that change impacts the world around us and the globe, quite literally, that we're called out from here. But for today, I want to take us back one final time to Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. That we would be, um, we would we would see the mercy of God. We would recognize all of Jesus. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by all of Jesus, to present your bodies, the whole person, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, all of Jesus for the whole person. Don't do not be conformed to the world. Don't have your spirit formed unintentionally, passively, just allowing the world to speak into you, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, intentionally engage teachings and community and practice through the power of the Spirit in a way that Jesus can uh, form us, that we put ourselves in position to be changed by him, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing, by listening and learning to discern within our head by talking to the world around about by to the christians around us by um by, by hearing learning to hear the word of god we would know his will his good pleasing and perfect will and so i pray that would be true for you and i as we step into the world this week again i so wish we could be together i wish that we could be um, praying over one another and praying this over one another we're going to be able to do that next week and in the weeks to come and we're so uh, glad to be back into the rhythm of doing that for today um, I, I want to encourage you to go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to encourage you, if you uh, would like somebody to pray for you, just shoot an email, prayer at yorkalliance.org. We will get back to you. We would love to pray for you and with you. Um, maybe uh, just contact somebody and say, hey, can we just pray together through this? Uh, I, I, I know I need to be changed by him. I need to be transformed, that all of Jesus is for all of me. And he's not getting everywhere. Maybe you need to find a discipleship partner, call a discipleship partner and say, would you pray into this? But let's ask him to do this transforming work in us. Let me pray for us. Uh, thanks again for joining us in this odd uh, way of connecting on Sunday morning. Um, I hope you stay safe uh, today and uh, whenever you're watching this, uh, that you have a safe week. But let's pray and uh, ask Jesus to do this work in us. God, um, we come before you and we recognize we can't change ourselves. And yet, you invite us into the process. Uh, we, we don't just wait. We step in, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And then you do this work of transformation. And so Jesus, would you do that in us? Would you change us today and this week? Would you make us different people that we would look back at the beginning of 2022 when we get all the way to the end and we would see the work that you've done, would see the change that you make in us. And so God, do this work in us. And I pray for those who are gonna be baptized today. I pray that as they prepare in these next couple of weeks, that this would be a marker for them 
that they would, uh, they would identify the work that you've already done in them and are continuing to do in them. And God, I pray for each one of us that there would just be a reminder that you call us to holiness, to purity, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. So God, we bring ourselves before you and we ask you to do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.